come on. Who knows that good oldie right there from the 90s? Come on, let me see you. High and proud. Let me see. Were you, how many of y'all were singing along with him? Come on. I asked Pastor Tim, I said, Pastor, can we play that song on Sunday? He was like, did you hear those keys? <laughs> I said, well, I'll just play the video. No worries, because I, I absolutely adore that song from back in the 90s, Brownsville Revival. That's where that was, if you don't know. Uh, an amazing time of just where God was doing some incredible things all across our nation. People were coming from all over the nation, all over the world, to experience what God was doing at that time. And that's one of the songs that came out out of that revival, Enemies Camp. You can't help but sing along. I went to the enemy's camp and I took back what he stole from me. Come on, you got to sing it a little bit. I need somebody to say, took back what he stole from me. We're going to take back what the enemy has stolen from us. How many of you know that there's a real enemy, a real foe out there in the spiritual realm. What you and I see is not all that there is to this universe, right? There's, there's a whole realm of spiritual beings that sometimes we don't think about, right? Or we choose not to think about. We're thinking more about what's going on in the playoffs uh, than we are about what's going on in our hearts and our minds and all around us uh, that's literally warring for our souls. Uh, it says in the Bible that there's an enemy and what he does is he comes to steal kill and destroy. What was the first one? Somebody say steal. He comes to steal. And uh, there is this enemy that comes to steal, not just uh, physical things, not just material things, but he's trying to steal your mind. He's trying to steal the way that you think. He's trying to take your brain and twist it into thinking in ways that God did not intend for you to think. The title of the message today is when the enemy steals your mind. If you're taking notes, go ahead and write that down. When the enemy steals your mind. And today I'm going to give you a few practical steps and a few spiritual steps that you're going to be able to take by the end of this message that you're going to know how to get your mind back. Come on, somebody say amen. Come on. So this is the second part in our series, Winning the War in Your Mind. Uh, and I asked the question last week, I'll ask it again, how many of you feel like sometimes that you're just kind of at war in your own mind, right? Uh, there's these thoughts of, well, I want to do the right thing, but then I do the wrong thing. Uh, I, I, I try not to do the wrong things, and sometimes I end up doing the right thing, and it's just like, I, already, I stumbled into it, you know? But the things that you don't want to do, you try so hard, and you try to convince yourself, I don't want to do this, and then you end up doing it anyway. Uh, you know, you, you pick up that extra donut uh, out here in, in the connections area, right? And you're like, I only wanted one, but, you know, I got two, three, four, oh my goodness, you know? And then you just feel terrible. Like, why did I do that? You're at war in your own mind sometimes. You know, you hit the snooze button too many times or, or whatever it might be for you, you go on that shopping spree that you know that you shouldn't have and yet it was just impulsive and you couldn't help yourself and you're trying to win the war in your mind against alcoholism, against drugs, against pornography. I don't know what it is for you, but many times we battle within ourselves in our own mind, even in our interpersonal relationships with our wives, husbands, our kids, whatever it might be. We're battling to do the right thing, and yet we have this little voice in our ear sometimes telling us to do the wrong thing. And so uh, that's what we're really talking about today. Last week, uh, if you didn't hear the message, I'd encourage you to go back. It's uh, simply titled, entitled Winning the War in Your Mind. It's the same as the series title as well, uh, and it kind of sets up everything that we're doing here. So go back on YouTube, check that out, uh, but we're going to 
truck right along here in 1 Samuel chapter 30. This is a long passage, so if you want to, you can go ahead and turn there in your Bible. Uh, It's in the Old Testament, somewhat close to the beginning. Get through the first five books of the Bible, you'll find it there pretty soon. 1 Samuel 30, and we're going to read 1 through 6, and then also verse 8, and we're going to keep going. So this is a long passage, and we're going to break it down uh, kind of section by section on how to win the war in your mind and take your mind back. So 1 Samuel 30, starting in verse 1, David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. They had attacked Ziklag and burned it, and they had taken captive the women and everyone else in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but they carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. How many of you would say, these guys are pretty sad, right? This is a very awful thing that's happening. David's two wives had been captured, Enoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him, killing him, basically, Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters, but David found strength in the Lord his God. David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, he answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. I'm going to skip a few of these verses, but basically uh, from verses 9 to 15, it talks about them finding an Egyptian slave Uh, that was actually a part of the raiding party, but he became ill, and so basically the raiding party just kind of left him behind for dead. Uh, And David and his men find this Egyptian, and they say, hey, will you take us to the people you know where they're going? He said, hey, as long as you don't kill me, I'll do whatever you want, because they deserted me, so I'll take you right to them. And they said, awesome. So verse 16, skip down a little bit. He led David down, and there they were, scattered over the countryside, eating, drinking, and reveling because of the great amount of plunder they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from Judah. David fought them from dusk until evening of the next day, and none of them got away except 400 young men who rode off on camels and fled. David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. Nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, plunder or anything else they had taken, David brought everything back. He brought everything back. Let's pray real quick. Father God, I just pray that you would use my voice today to speak not my words, but your words, that somebody in this place that maybe is feeling like their mind is being taken over by their enemy, their mind is not even their own anymore. They can't control their thoughts the way they think, and today they want to take their mind back. Lord, I pray that you would open up their ears, open up their hearts to hear what you'd have to say. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to give you a few steps. When the enemy steals your mind, what is it that we're supposed to do? Number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. Number one is find strength in the Lord. Amen. We find strength in the Lord. In verse six of that passage, it said, David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and his daughters. You know, they had been taken. But David found strength in the Lord his God. How many of you have been in the lowest of lowest of lowest of your life? And you get to that point and 
you're looking to every other option other than to God, right? And you're looking to self-help books. You're looking to family members. You're looking to finances, to a new job. Well, that's what's going to get me out of this. Or, or maybe I need to move and get away from these people and whatever it might be. You read articles. You listen to podcasts. You go to therapy, all these things. And I'm not saying any of those are necessarily bad things. But when you get to the lowest of the low in your life and you're, uh, you're just at the rock bottom, the first place that we need to turn is to God. Amen? That's the first place that we need to turn. And this is what David does. These men were going to kill him because he had basically lost absolutely everything. And he was the one in charge. So now he's the one to blame leadership 101, right? But when he was at his lowest point, when they had, it says they had wept till they had no more strength left to weep. They were absolutely devastated. What does he do? It says he turns to God. And the point I want to really make to you today is that God gives you strength when you are weak. Come on, somebody. God will give you strength when you are at your lowest point. If you will simply turn to him and stop trying to do things on our own, we have to turn towards God. Look toward heaven. Don't look at the problems that you're facing and try to solve them with human resources and human ideas. It's never going to work as well as if you would simply turn towards God and use the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome the challenges that you're facing in your life. Amen. God gives you strength, Isaiah 40, 31. They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Come on, if that ain't encouraging today in the house of God, I don't know what is. That is encouraging. That God will literally give you the ability, it says, to mount up wings like eagles. Like, I'm going to fly right over this mountain, right? I have this huge mountain in the way. God's going to give me wings like Red Bull style. You know, I'm about to fly right over this thing, all right? Psalm 46, 1 through 3. God is our refuge and our strength, our ever-present help in trouble. When you're in trouble, what does it say right here? He is ever present. The Bible says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God says, I'm never going to leave you alone. If you turn to me and you look to me, listen, I promise you, I will be there. And yet so many of us don't do that. Why is that? We have the ability to turn to an ever-present, all-knowing, like amazing, all-powerful God, and yet we think for some reason that we can try to get through this stuff using our own strength. But God's our refuge. God is our strength. He is our ever-present help when you are in trouble. So the first thing I need you guys to do is to find strength in the Lord. That's number one. Number two today is believe God's word. So when you actually turn to God, here's another problem that maybe some of you might face. I know I certainly do sometimes. You turn to God and you say, Lord, I'm coming to you. I'm at the bottom. I don't know what to do. And then God starts speaking to you. You start feeling like he's tugging on your heart, telling you to do something, giving you direction, whatever it might be. And then you're like, I don't like that one. Can you give me something else? <laughs> you know, like, I don't I don't like that idea. That plan stinks. Like, I, I, didn't, I didn't turn to you so you could tell me to work, you know, harder or like, you know, hey, I actually have to like, you know, try to mentally refuse that donut there. Like, no, I want to eat the donut. Lord, that was the whole point of the donut is that it goes in my stomach. You know, like you have to actually partner with God and listen to the things that he's telling you. Uh, in verse 8, it said, David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue this raiding party? So he's seeking after God. He's looking to God, turning to him first. Will I overtake them? He asked God a question. 
Some of you might need to ask God a question and then sit and wait for the answer instead of telling God what you're going to do. Pursue them, he answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. Now, David could have easily just said, "Mm, you sure about that? (laughs) You really think we could do this? He could have argued with God. Moses tried to argue with God. Didn't go so well, right? Many people have tried to argue with God all throughout the Bible, and it never, ever goes well. But you know what? David believed God's word. He believed the word that God had given him, and he also believed the words that had already been written that God had already said, the word of God that they had already been studying all of their lives. David inquired of the Lord, and then he says, you're going to overtake them. Go pursue them. What is God saying here in this moment? He's saying, listen, David, you can do this. Come on. God is like David's biggest hype man right now. Like, come on, let's just go. Let's do this. You got this. Go overtake them. Pursue them right now. This is like a Philippians 4.13 kind of moment where David just needs to stand up and say, listen, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? I, I know I can do this. Take up your armor. Take up your sword and shield and let's go to battle. When you feel like your mind has been taken over, what I need you to do today is I need you to remind yourself of God's word. Remind yourself of what the Bible says. Get into the word of God and encourage yourself. Encourage your spirit with the word of God. Simply just reading these verses, I guarantee will lift your spirit. And if you read it enough, you will start to believe it, right? You know, those of you that have read your Bible consistently, you don't understand it, but your life seems to start moving in a better direction. Why is that? Because the Bible, the word of God is living, breathing, and active. And it has the power to transform your heart and transform your mind. It is the actual word of the creator of the universe. And it has power. So when you start reminding yourself, saying, Philippians 4.13, man, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Not on my own power, not by myself, but because God is bigger than the problem that I'm facing. 2 Timothy 1.7 says this, for the spirit of God does not make us timid but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Maybe uh, another passage or another version of it, excuse me, says self-control. Now, I don't know about you, but in the battle in my mind, and in battle in your mind, much of it, I believe, is just a simple lack of discipline, a lack of self-discipline, a lack of self-control. And yet, self-control is one of the fruit of the Spirit. Did you know that? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Being able to control your own impulses, to control your mind, to control your heart is actually a Spirit-given gift. It's not only something that you can control by yourself and in your own strength, but the Spirit of God will support that effort if you will allow Him to. Start speaking that over yourself. If you're having trouble uh, watching things online that you shouldn't be, if you're having trouble eating things you shouldn't be, if you're having trouble with anger in your relationship with your spouse or with somebody that's close to you, whatever that thing is for you, that battle in your mind, maybe start speaking this verse over yourself. Say, hey, you know what? I have self-control because I'm led by the Spirit of God, not led by my flesh. I'm crucifying my flesh, and I'm going to be led by God, so I'm going to have self-control here in this moment. Start speaking that. Write it. Put it on a post-it note. I don't know what you need to do, but get it somewhere where you can see it. Because when you live by the Spirit, right, what is this, ver- this whole passage saying right here? Uh, it's saying if you live by the Spirit in Galatians 5, 
you will develop these characteristics, love, joy, peace, patience, all this stuff, all the way to self-control. If you do not live by the Spirit, if you don't turn to God when you're going through troubles and struggles and hard times, then you can expect a lesser measure of these characteristics in your personality and in your life. That's just the way it is. And you might say, well, hey, I'm, I'm pretty good at self-control or I'm pretty good at love. I know a lot of people that don't believe in God that are uh, really loving people. I'm not saying that you can't be a loving person without it, but I'm saying there is a greater measure of love that you will experience, a greater measure of self-control, a greater measure that can only be attained by the power of the Holy Spirit working within you. So number three, oh, let's, let's recap. Number two right there is we're gonna believe God's word. We gotta take him at his word. The word that maybe he's spoken to you personally even too. Sometimes God speaks to us and it's individual. It has nothing to do with anybody else, but it's a word directly for you. God didn't tell somebody else, pursue them, overtake them. No, he told David. That was David's word straight from the Lord. And so I think sometimes we need to sit and just be patient and say, God, what am I supposed to do? How do I get through this? I'm turning to you. I'm looking to you first. I'm seeking after you. And, and now speak to me. And then when he speaks, just listen to what he says. And yet it seems so hard for us sometimes. Number three, after you have done those two things and you say, God, all right, I got a word. I'm feeling good. I'm going to listen to the word. I'm not going to just put it aside. Number three is now you got to fight your enemy. Somebody say fight. David fought them from dusk until the evening of the next day, and none of them got away except 400 young men rode off on camels and fled. Now, riding off on camels, let's just stop there for a second, okay? Just imagine 400 camels just like riding off into the distance. I feel like that'd be pretty easy to catch up to. Anyway, okay. We're in a spiritual battle, y'all. We are in a spiritual battle. We talked about this already. This is not just a battle that we fight between flesh and blood is what the Bible says. You have to fight. If you are in a battle, in a war in your mind, you have to put up a big fight. The brain is a complex thing and the spirit realm is a complex thing. But listen, if you will just listen to the word that God has given you after you, has, after you have sought his face, you have prayed, you have gotten the word, you're speaking life over yourself, you're speaking the word of God over yourself and you do the thing that God told you to do, listen, it is not going to be easy. Just because God said that you could do it doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. You think David literally showed up and it does not say that he showed up and just like banged a cymbal and then, man, that was it. You know, great. All the Philistines and all these dudes, Amalekites, they just died, right? That's not how it happened. It says that they fought from dusk until the evening of the next day. They put up a fight. You have to fight. But don't accept defeat when it gets hard because that's a big, big spot that many of us will stop. We'll hear God's word and we say, God, I believe you, I trust you, I'm gonna go the way that you've asked me to. And then it gets difficult and life happens. Somebody close to you passes away. For me, I'll just be honest, uh, wasn't planning on putting this in the message, but I guess I will, it kind of works. So uh, in the last six weeks, I've been working out, I have a home gym now, praise God. It's great when you have little tiny kids, you don't have to leave and go to the gym. Uh, so I just go out to the garage and I work out. Six weeks I've been working out, eating better. I've lost 15 pounds. It's like almost two and a half pounds a week. Yeah, so feeling good, right? Okay, um, praise God. So two days ago uh, was deadlifting. Some of you already know where this is going, okay? Deadlifting, pull, and pop. Back just literally goes, Doop. I felt it. Knew automatically what had happened because last year I had a herniated disc. And a few years ago I had a herniated disc. So I already knew what it felt like. Threw my back out, now I have a herniated disc, and now I'm not able to work out anymore. 
so demoralizing, right? Like, I've been working hard at this, Lord. Like, I feel like one of the things that God asked me to do, and, and I've really been praying about well before the new year, well before, you know, New Year's resolutions and all this stuff, I was like, Lord, I, I want to get healthy. I want to be strong. I want to be here for my family. This is a personal goal that I have for myself. Working even on discipline, even with myself getting up at 6 a.m. You know, we're not hitting the snooze button. We're going to lift, right? We're going to go run. I don't even like running, but I'm going to go run anyway, you know? Just training your body and training your mind to do these things. And I was feeling so good, stronger than I've ever felt before. I feel like I'm looking better than I felt in a, in a really long time. And bam, my back gets thrown out. Well, now what am I going to do, right? Like, now I can't lift. I can't work out. I, I, I told my wife, I was like, I'm just going to have to work my arms and my legs. are just going to be a little skinny chicken legs. I'm going to be like yoked up top, right? It's going to be so weird looking. It's going to be great. But it's hard to stay motivated when something hard comes and it feels like there's a roadblock in the map that God has given you. And yet, we have to push through. We've got to fight. This is not something, I, I, I'm not going to let the enemy get to my mind and say, oh, you know what? Well, you got hurt, so now you might as well just, you know, go to Taco Bell every day now. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. That's the first thing I did when I got hurt. I was like, well, I'm done going to Taco Bell, right? <laughs> so. I kid you not, I sure did. And then I got convicted later. I was like, ah, oh, Lord, I, I don't need to be doing that. So, but you know what I'm talking about. This is real life. This is how it happens, okay? It's going to be a fight. It's going to be difficult, all right? Life is not going to be easier just because God gave you a word and told you where to go. So Jesus paid for you to have this abundant life, not a life of defeat, not a life of just trying and trying and trying so hard uh, to make things happen. But listen, if you fight with the right tools, you fight with the right sword and the right armor, then this fight's going to be a lot easier than if you tried to do it on your own. So how do we fight this enemy in our mind? If you will, I have a few sub points. How do we fight the enemy of our mind? Number one is by the spirit of God. By the Spirit, by prayer and fasting. Why do you think we're doing prayer and fasting right now? It's because at the beginning of the year, I like to go to God, and I think it's great for us as a church to go to God and say, hey, listen, Lord, we are here for you. We are here. We're listening. We're available. God, speak to us. Give us direction for this year. We're not going to fight by our own flesh and blood, but we want to fight by the Spirit of God through prayer and fasting. We know this in 2 Corinthians 10. We talked about it last week. It says, though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. I love that passage. What is this passage saying? It's saying, you do not need to fight with your own strength. Because you by yourself are not enough to overcome the schemes of the enemy. And I know that might sound harsh. It might sound like a bad thing. But let me tell you, it's not a bad thing at all. In fact, it's a great thing. Because the Bible says that when, while the, although we are weak, he is strong. God is strong in you, in the midst of your weakness, in the midst of the places that you don't have it all together. The Bible says that God will be strong in the midst of that, can somebody say amen this morning? We are going to fight by the spirit of God, by prayer, by fasting, by getting in the word of God, not by our own strength and not by the ways that the world does. So spiritually, that's one way that you can fight your enemy. But there's also some practical ways too. Uh, number two in how to fight the enemy would be creating new neural pathways. Yes, neural, N-E-U-R-A-L, neural pathways. This is a uh, more of a scientific, practical approach here. 
But I want to I talk about this because I think it's very important to understanding how our brain works. Brain is a very complex machine, really, is what it is. And there's so many things that are going on, and there's electricity, and there's all kinds of matter and material. We don't really fully understand how the brain works. But what we do know is that there are neural pathways. There are pathways that we have created as we have grown up, things that, uh, that are in our brain that basically say, hey, this is how you do things, this is how you think, and it becomes habits. The more habits that you have, you're basically creating neural pathways for these different things. Uh, basically, a good way to explain it, I, I love this example. It really helps. There's a, a college, and a few colleges have actually done this since then, but uh, at UNC, they were building a new campus, and they decided that they were going to actually not put any sidewalks anywhere on the campus, which seems kind of weird, right? Well, they're not going to put any sidewalks anywhere. Well, what were they doing? They were allowing the students to basically walk wherever it is that they needed to walk because, you know, you're going from one place to the other. There's so many different ways to get there. So the students would walk along the grass to get to different buildings. And after about six months or a year, what do you think was in the grass? Paths, pathways. They were creating their own paths, creating new paths that had never been there before. And then after they looked from above and saw where all the dirt paths are, they put the sidewalks right on top of those paths. Seems to make sense, right? This is the idea of neural pathways. If you want to create a new one, you're going to have to go off of the sidewalk, which is a little uncomfortable, and you're going to have to go and create a new path. And it's going to be a little bit more rocky. It's going to be a little more dirty. Your shoe is going to get messed up. But if it actually helps you better to get to where you need to go, then, man, we need to put a sidewalk there. And that's what creating a new neural pathway in your head is all about. For example, Tegan, my daughter, uh, she's nine months, and she's starting to learn uh, how to talk. She's saying mama. She said dada for the first time a few weeks ago, and I was like, finally. Like, she's been saying mama forever. And, um, and so she's learning how to talk. And what are we really doing when we're saying these things over and over and over again? I'm saying dada, dada. She's like mama. I'm like dada, dada, right? I'm trying to teach her. It's creating a new link. Hey, we're going to attach a few things up here. Attach a few wires together and make sure that she's uh, learning how to talk. But before her mouth moves, what's happening, right? Before her mouth ever moves, before my mouth is moving right now, my brain had to tell my mouth to do this. Another example would be losing weight, right? There's an app actually. I, I don't really, I wasn't gonna do this app because it didn't really sound cool to me, but I like the idea behind it. It's an app called Noom. And I've been seeing a lot of ads about it. Maybe you've seen them uh, watching TV, but it's an app, and it focuses not on the actual eating part of things, but it focuses strictly on your behavior. It focuses strictly on cognitive behavioral therapy is really what the, what the app is. And it pairs you with a, um, I believe with a psychologist or something like that, that understands everything that there is to understand about food science and, and how we behave in a relationship to food. And if you can change your relationship to the food, if you can change the way that you think about food, then naturally you will start eating different things. But most of us go the opposite way. We, we try to change the food that we eat and then it doesn't work. We go on a diet and it doesn't work. And we do this and it doesn't work. Why is that? Because we haven't actually changed the way we think about it yet. Another example would be Dave Ramsey, Financial Peace. Listen, Financial Peace is an incredible program, but his advice is not the best for making money. I'm just going to say it, Dave, if you're listening, okay? It's not the best for making money. It really is not. It is a great program, though. Envelopes with cash in it, seriously? Like, that's going to be the best way to do things? No, of course it's not. It's inconvenient. It's awful. 
and credit cards are not necessarily of the devil, okay? Like as Dave Ramsey would like you to think, they're not of the devil. Actually, they can make you a lot of money. Uh, technically, Dave Ramsey is, is not the best way to make money, but what is it the best thing for? It is to train your mind. It's not about the money. It's about training your mind and understanding that your relationship with the money that you have needs to change. Once you understand that relationship with money and you kind of get uh, your feet together and you pay off your debt and things like that, and maybe you understand more about how uh, uh, your mind works in relationship to money, now we can actually do some things like investing or whatever it might be that's gonna help you gain more money. You can get a credit card, buy some things, whatever, build points, all this stuff. But people give them a hard time, but it's not about the money, it's about your mind and training your mind, creating those new neural pathways. And the idea here is, is simply, If you can take your mind back, you can take your life back. If you can change your mind, then you can change your life. And some of y'all today, your mind is gone. And you know it, and maybe somebody close to you knows it, but your mind is not in a good place. Maybe it is financial or it's, you know, a weight loss journey or whatever it might be. But listen, I'm, I'm talking even deeper than that. Like you feel like you just, you can't control the things that you think. That verse where it says, make my mind, uh, take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. You're like, no way I could do that. Just no way. It's impossible. I cannot do that. I've tried. That just sounds really difficult. Or you're like, how do I do that? I have no idea. Listen, we're giving you the steps right here. First, you gotta go to God. You gotta believe his word. And then number three, you have to fight. But then number four, and this is the best part, after you fight your enemy and you're using the spirit of God, you're using the tools that he's given you and you have defeated the enemy of your mind, now it's time to take back what he stole from you, amen? It's time to take back your mind. It's time to take back your life. Do not let Satan control your mind any longer. Listen, you're struggling with alcoholism, you're struggling, struggling with pornography, you're struggling with lustful thoughts, you're struggling with anger or anxiety, or I don't know what it is for you, but you already know what that thing is. The Holy Spirit's putting it on your heart. He's putting it on your mind right now. You feel like you can't control your mind, but you say, I wanna take it back. Listen, in verse 18, it says, David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. Nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, plunder or anything else he had taken, David brought everything back. Not some, not most. What does it say? Somebody say everything. He brought all of it back. And many of you today, you might be saying, well, I feel like even if I just got half of my mind back, I'd feel better. But God's saying, that's not good enough. I want to give you all of it back. But today we got to fight. We're going to fight today, right here, right now. And in just a few moments, we're gonna pray with one another. And I'm gonna ask, there might even be some people that wanna receive prayer. And I might even ask you if you're bold enough to come up to the front and have some of our team and leaders pray with you. You don't have to tell them everything that's going on in your life. Listen, you don't have to just divulge all of your deepest, darkest secrets right here, right now. I get that, especially to a stranger you don't even know. Maybe you feel like that's something you need to do. The Bible says, confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. But listen, I know some of you just need to actually get out of your seat and come to the front and get prayer. 
pray with somebody that's next to you and that is the way that you're gonna fight today to take your mind back. But it says everything he got back. So do you believe that God can restore everything that you have lost? Do you believe he can restore your mind? Do you believe he can make it better than it's ever been? When I think about this, I, the idea of restoring everything that you've lost, it's hard not to go to the book of Job, right? It's hard not to. Satan goes to God and says, I'm gonna test your greatest servant, Job. And he goes down and Satan takes everything away from him. An amazing man of God. He takes away his cattle, his servants, they're dead, sons and daughters, a house falls in on them, all of them dead. And all these servants are coming up to Job. It says, while this one was speaking, the next one came up and told him this. And while that one was speaking, the other servant came up and told him more people have died, more servants have died, more uh, cattle have died. And you got to imagine in that moment, what is Job feeling? He's at his rock bottom, the same way that David was. And Job struggles with God, right? He had his friends that were trying to counsel him in one way, right? And his wife trying to counsel him in another way. And listen, all these outside voices were trying to get to him. And Satan was trying to use these people around him to get him off course. And to be honest, Job struggles with God. He doesn't understand the loss that he is dealing with right now. The Bible says that he does not sin against God. And all of his questioning of God and all of his troubles and all of his doubts and all the times when he's just like, God, what is going on? I mean, you got to imagine everyone in his family is dead. All of his possessions are gone. And he's sitting there and he's just thinking, God, what is going on right now? Like, why are you letting this happen? And he starts questioning God and they start going back and forth, back and forth and back and forth. And God speaks to Job. He's like, who put the stars in the sky? Who separated the earth from the sea? He's basically saying like, don't you know that I already know exactly what you need. I know what you're going through, Job. I know that you've lost everything and you're feeling awful about your life. But listen, just stick with me. Let's get through this thing together. Let's fight. And in Job chapter 42, verse 10, it says, and the Lord restored the fortunes of Job. What he had, when he had prayed for his friends, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Twice as much. Is it sad that all that stuff happened to him? Absolutely. But God restored everything he had and then gave him a double portion of what he had before. Come on, somebody, I want to tell you that God wants to restore your mind today. Not 20%, not 60%, not 80%, not even 100%, but God wants to increase your capacity to think like Christ to 200, 300% than you ever have before in your life. Listen, does anybody want that today? Does anybody want to be able to think like Christ, to have self-control and self-discipline, do the things that we need to do to have the abundant life that Jesus died that you can have? Somebody want that today? Because I know I certainly do. I'm not timid. I'm strong. That's what the Bible says. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, sound mind, self-control, self-discipline. Listen, I'm not going to be worried. I'm not going to be anxious, but I can cast my cares on Jesus. I don't know where God is leading me right now. High school, college students, people looking to get married. I don't know what you're going through, but listen, you might be looking for a job, but let me tell you, the Holy Spirit is guiding me right now. The Holy Spirit is guiding you right now in this place. I'm dealing with lustful thoughts. No, no, no. 
I'm not a slave to sin. I am a child of God. Do you see how it works, people? We have to start speaking this life over ourselves and speaking the word of God. Would everybody stand in the house of God today? You feel like that your mind is all over the place. It's a mental health issue. I don't don't know what it might be for you, but there's many people in here today that would say, pastor, this is me. I want prayer. I got prayer last week. I'm gonna get prayer again this week, right? I wanna take my mind back. You feel like Satan has control over your mind in any way, or you feel like you're having a struggle, that internal battle, and you just want the noise to be quieted so that you can think clearly and, and communicate with God and hear what he has for you and execute on that. If that's you, man, I just wanna encourage you today. Today is your day to take your mind back. Today is the day that we're gonna fight against the enemy. And we're gonna do it in the way that God says to do it, not in the way that you've been doing it because it ain't been working. We're gonna do it like this. We are going to go to God in prayer. We're gonna seek God first, find strength in the Lord, just as David did. Number two, we will believe God's word over ourselves and over our lives and we will speak it over ourselves. Number three, We're gonna fight the enemy through prayer, by the Spirit of God, by fasting. And number four, when we've done all of that, we're gonna take back what he stole from us and we will be victorious in the end, amen? So come on, if that's you, what I want you to do today is I just want you to lift your hands and worship because how many of you know that we serve the same God who helped Moses, the same God who helped Abraham, the same God who set the Israelites free, the same God that set uh, David and his men free and got everything back in their lives, all the wives, all the children, all of the livestock, all the cattle, the same God that restored Job everything that he had. We serve that same God today in this house. So what I want us to do is I want us to give God praise and we're going to sing that he is still a healer. He is still a provider. He's still our savior in this house. I want you to give it all you got this morning. Come on, let's worship God together. Let's give him good praise in this place today. Come on. You heard your children then. You hear your children now. You are the same God. You are the same God. You answered prayers back then, and you will answer now. You are the same God. You are the same God. You were providing then. You are providing now. You are the same God. Come on up to the front if you need prayer. You are the same God. You are the same God. You are a healer then. You are a healer now. You are the same God. You are the same God. You are a savior then. You are a savior now. You same God. You are the same. 
Hey, we're going to keep praying here. We're going to keep worshiping. If you need to leave and you feel like you've prayed and you've spoken to God and you've done what you needed to do today, then I'll dismiss you here in just a moment. But before we do, I have to give an opportunity for somebody to say yes to Jesus. Because you might be in here today and you might say, hey, I I can't take my mind back because I've never given it to God in the first place. It's never been there in the first place. And I need to get right with God right here, right now. The Bible says that we're all sinners, right? We've all messed up. So nobody's better than anybody else. You're not any better than I am. I'm not any better than you are just because I'm the one with the microphone. I just happen to be called by God to lead this moment and lead this church. And you're called to do what God's called you to do, to be an influencer in the family, in the workplace, in the school that you're at. But listen, you gotta admit that, hey, I'm a sinner and I need a savior and his name is Jesus. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, I just wanna simply give you the opportunity to say yes. And you know who you are. You know, maybe you've given your life to God at some point, but you've gone away from him and you wanna get right. Or maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. But let me tell you, it's the best decision you'll ever make. The peace that surpasses all understanding will come into your life. Your life's not gonna be perfect. It's not gonna be easy. Becoming a Christian doesn't make your life any easier. It just makes it to where you know that there's Jesus right there by your side. I don't know how else to explain it. The same struggles that you went through before now feel easier because you have God on your side. He's fighting alongside of you. You're not trying to do it alone anymore. So if that's you on the count of three, I'd just like you to raise your hand and just quickly look up at me. Then you can put your hand right back down once we make eye contact. I just wanna see who you are. That's you, one, two, three, let me see. I see you guys right here together, couple, beautiful. Over here in the back, I see you guys. Is there anybody else that wants to get right with God today and say yes to Jesus right here, right now? Come on, amen, amen. Four or five people saying yes to God today. This is incredible. Come on, can we give a big shout of praise and applause? A few people saying yes to God today. I wanna pray with everybody here and then we're gonna keep worshiping for just a little bit longer and we're gonna keep praying together. If you would like prayer, please don't be afraid. Come on up, let's pray. Everybody together, if you wouldn't mind, say, Father God, I give you my life. I recognize that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. God, make me new, make me whole, make me a new creation. I put you first in my life from this day forward in Jesus' name. Come on, somebody give a big shout and say amen. Come on. God is good. Come on. Hey, thank you so much for being here today. Like I said, if you'd like to connect, go through Growth Track. You can get all the information out here, but we're gonna keep worshiping for just a bit. And the altar's open if anybody would like prayer. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week.